This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Kwame Kusatsu. I play Admiral Nakamura on Star Trek Next Generation, and I welcome you all to Trek FM. The old grey hot. Welcome to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Justin Ozer. Amy is away again this week, but join with me today is Joe Keegan. Joe, how are you doing today? Mm, I've been better, Justin, but I can't believe Amy's away still. Well, she's, she's having fun in Chile. in Chile, I know, in Santiago. Yeah. It's crazy. But she will be she, back next week, right? She will be, but she's been posting some amazing pictures and been, the looks of it, been drinking some amazing wine, so I'm <laughs> super jealous. Never been to South America before. I haven't either. I would love to yeah. go. We'll have to ask Amy about it when she comes back. But is that the reason you're not doing so well, because you're jealous of Amy or something No, else? you'll notice like on the Zoom video that I'm, I'm wearing a house coat. Or, I don't, what do you call house coats in the US? Jacket? No, like a, like a bathrobe. A bathrobe? Oh, okay. Yeah, like we call it a house coat. So or... is it cold there and you don't have heat? No, um, we had our f- <laughs> one of four Christmas nights out last night. Oh. So, yeah. I was a bit, I was a bit under the weather this morning. And now I'm okay. just, I feel fine, but now I'm just super tired. Okay, well, like, hopefully... If I randomly will... fall asleep... <laughs> Just well, like, hopefully, we'll be exciting enough for you to stay. Oh awake, yeah, I'm but, so I'm so super excited. Yeah. I think adrenaline has now kicked in, so I'm like, oh, focused, I'm good, <laughs> right, ready to great. talk about Star Trek. So before we get into our main topic, we have some Babel Conference feedback. This was from Earl Grey 300, which was our interview with Robin Curtis. So that was an exciting one because it was the 300th episode of Earl Grey, and we had mm-hmm. a great interview with, with Robin Curtis. Uh, Joe, you want to read the first piece of feedback? Yeah, and about that interview, Robin was mm-hmm. just so lovely to talk to, and just so yeah. open and warm and friendly. So I'm sorry, my voice is like three octaves and deeper than normal. I might have to edit me kind of up the way. <laughs> <laughs> like no, you're, you're put fine. Put a helium filter on or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Rhea Papa Giorgio. And just for old time's sake, I'm going to say her name again, Rhea Papa Giorgio. Says, mm-hmm. Gambit Part 1 was on Heroes and Icons last night, and Gambit Part 2 was on tonight. Nice timing. Smiley face. Yeah, well, do you know what? We put a lot of thought into organising Earl Grey. Um, and while we might not look at the TV schedules around the world, it's just... It's just good luck for us, and so with thanks, we've we've made your life more enjoyable by talking about stuff that you've just watched on TV. I take it Heroes and Icons is a, a TV station. Yeah, it's like it's like a cable station, okay. and I well, I don't have cable at my house, but my mother in law does. She doesn't have the channel, but as I understand it, they have like 
Star Trek stuff like every night and they'll run things from all the live action shows. Like oh, okay. it's, it's pretty cool actually. Nice. Um, yeah. And, and so Gambit was on, which Robin Curtis was in as Talera. And, uh, I think on the Tuesday the episode came out, it was the 33rd anniversary of Star Trek Four, which Robin Curtis was also in as Savick. No. So how about that? Yeah, we have we. Is this something else that we've discovered on Earl Grey, or is this just a commonly known fact? Because you know how we like to discover mind blowing yeah. details. It, it it seems to happen that we have stuff that's appropriate for certain anniversaries, but we <clears> definitely <throat> don't plan it that way. It's just that's you know, just how luck. good we are. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Don't even have to think about it. Indeed. So Chris, so oh, Chris sorry, I'm just can yeah. I just say um, Ria Papa Giorgio? That's it. Then you can go on. Uh, yes. Thank you. That was your three times for the episode. Yes. <laughs> so Chris Hill says, I really enjoyed this one, and if I ever move move to Syracuse, New York, I know who I'm using for my real estate agent. LOL. <laughs> so, thanks, Chris. Glad you enjoyed the interview, and uh, as listeners found out, well, or maybe already knew, Robin Curtis is a real estate agent in the Syracuse, New York area, and had offered um, <laughs> basically her services if people are there and need any real estate help. So, uh, yeah, that, that's, uh, that was pretty great, and she told a really great story about uh, her favorite real estate sale, right? It was a converted church or something, wasn't it? A nunnery that was nunnery, converted right, yeah. for this couple that wanted to use the space and this guy had like two big grand pianos he wanted in the main amazing. area so it was pretty awesome sounds like yeah. my type of house <laughs> thanks for your comment uh, chris tim han says a wonderful interview well done to all concerned robin curtis really is lovely and such a joy to listen to i was at destination star trek in october just checking out the day's schedule information on the wall not very far away from curtis own signing desk when she stood up and suddenly called out attention we have a convention virgin referring to the people she was signing autographs for. Everyone nearby suddenly stopped what they were doing, laughed and applauded. It was quite a funny moment. Yeah, Tim, I was at Destination Star Trek as well and I managed to chat to Robin Curtis about coming on to the... Um, I suppose I was following up from Justin talking to her yeah. in Vegas, um, trying to coerce her into coming on, and she was just so delightful. I didn't see um, the whole convention virgin um, park. I believe she did it a few... On a few occasions, but um, yeah. I missed each of them. Yeah, she, I mean, she was telling that story that that she does that. It was great, Tim, that you actually witnessed it. I didn't see that at uh, uh, Star Trek Las Vegas. There must have been lots of people that have been there multiple times, like like we had. But mm-hmm. uh, it's it's great. I mean, it seems like she really uh, enjoys talking with the fans and uh, and has fun with it. So it's great to hear. Yeah. All right. So today on Earl Grey. Uh, we do have a special guest. We have, we do, yes. yeah, we do. We really do. So we have April Taylor, who's one of our patrons on Trek FM. So April, welcome to Earl Grey. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's it's so great to to have you here. You know, we met uh, at Star Trek Las Vegas a couple of years ago, and I think I saw you this year as well. And I think Joe's met you as well. And, I have uh, indeed, yes. Yeah, and and you were on a a recent uh, roundtable that Chris Littlefield did about Star Trek Las Vegas. Really enjoyed hearing you and the other patrons and, and guests on that. And we wanted to invite you here to Earl Grey. So, as this is your first time, just tell us our tell our listeners your history with Star Trek. Well, I've been a Star Trek fan for a while. Um, my mom used to watch, I used to watch the syndication of um, the original Star Trek with my mom. Um, not all the time, um, but later on, like in my early 20s is when um, 
I was watching TNG at um, the end of TNG, the beginning of um, Deep Space Nine and all of that with my roommates um, a long time ago. We used to all get together, gather in the room and watch um, those shows. And then Voyager, we were roommates for a while. <laughs> and then um, I lost contact with it for a while and revisited some years ago um, when I was going through some emotional stuff and was at home by myself and watching a lot. I was like, oh, yes, Netflix has all of these on now. So I can just watch everything. And I powered through all five series, movies, everything, um, and just fell in love with it again. Like I was a fan before, but I wasn't as heavy of a fan as I became after those rewatches. So it just renewed my love of it. And I got to know the characters a bit more and just have been full in ever since. So that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm just curious. So when you went and rewatched, you know, five different series, how long did that take for you to do? Um, because at the time I was, well, I mean, just, to not go into too much detail, but I was just kind of okay. going through some depression and I was at home a lot. And um, so it did not, took me like maybe, a, I don't know, like... A couple of days? No, no, <laughs> not that fast. Maybe a few yeah. months. <laughs> like maybe a about months. six months or something like that just to kind of power oh, watch awesome. all of them. Yeah, yeah. So it was, I mean, nice. it was just like, you know, when you're warned, do you want to continue? I continued every single time like watching <laughs> oh nice yeah. who needs sleep that's, yeah <laughs> yeah that's 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 great so that's a, um april it's a really familiar story for a lot of people that are here a lot of the time you, you grow up watching the original series with a parent for me it was my mom as well and then you later on discover um for me it was season three tng in the 80s and then um you lose it for a time mm-hmm and you don't have any contact with Star Trek. And then when you come back into it later on, it kind of almost takes over your life and you end up doing podcasts and go to <laughs> going to conventions <laughs> multiple times a year. So it's like, it's, it's such a, a wonderful fandom to be a part of. Oh, absolutely. And I totally get why it's a common story for people. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so April, when I invited you on, I know we went through lists of possible topics and we eventually came to the one we're talking about today, which is First Contacts in TNG. So um, so tell us why you're interested in this topic. Well, um, to be honest, I, I find with TNG, especially with TNG being like the first of the newer treks, um, mm -hmm. their handling of it was really interesting because every first, even though they have like this entire idea of a first contact, and how it's supposed to go in TNG, almost every single one of them that we saw was unintentional, just because of like certain events mm. occurring that caused the first contact to happen. So um, that I just, I would like, I just kind of wanted to kind of dig into that a little bit more to see, you know, what can we get out of this and how did Picard and crew manage this idea of a first contact in these situations where everything was just kind of mm. disheveled. <laughs> so, yeah, and that's and that's a really interesting point for a lot of them being unintentional. Now, I, sh I shall let you know, listeners. I think there are quite a few instances of 
first contact of some kind or another uh, through the episodes and through the movies. We can't talk about all of them, but you know, I kind of put together a list of the ones I thought might be most interesting or most prominent, or or maybe can can be used to to kind of compare and contrast. So there's actually seven episodes and a movie that we'll be talking about today. So let's just kind of go right into it. So the first one that I had here is Encounter at Farpoint, which is the first episode of The Next Generation. And what I was thinking about it for primarily is the first contact with the Q. So let me start um, with, with you, April. Like, what are your thoughts on that, just thinking about it as like a first contact? Well, just as a first contact alone, it was really, it wasn't initiated by Starfleet. (laughs) It was Q kind of um, just taking over. And although there was kind of another first contact in there, but it was really Q. Yeah, it was Q taking over and starting to decide that he's going to be the judge of this fleet or this crew that's going out and doing things um, that apparently he doesn't approve that that race can do. So it's just a matter of him just jumping in and making himself a part of their, Mm -hmm. (laughs) their exploration. And it's just, they're managing him. Um, And Q is not somebody who's really easy to manage, just generally speaking. (laughs) Yeah. He would not allow it. So um, it's it, just that take of him, like how they managed or dealt with Q pretty much infiltrating their ship and their journey and their task. So that was not a normal first contact. Right. He did, uh, Picard did what he could. <laughs> but you know he's an omnipotent being and kind of a spoiled brat so yeah he kind of is yeah and I I think it is an interesting choice that right out of the gate in the first episode the kind of first first contact they have is with someone who's superior and you know there are a lot of godlike beings in the original series and all of that but just to start it out with okay here's a challenge for somebody that has so much power over us I think is 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 pretty interesting, um, and and you did allude to something. I think there is kind of a second first contact in in this episode that we'll talk about. But but Joe, you know your impressions of kind of seeing Q and interacting with the Q as a first contact. Um, so there's so many first contacts in this. I think I maybe counted five, and I've, we'll talk about that a bit later. But in, in terms, encountered Farpoint, yeah, there's oh, there's so many things that I. It's like when you're podcasting, a topic comes up and you think, like Justin's time travel, <laughs> you know, you think about it outside the box slightly sometimes. So there's a, uh, there's a few things that I saw as potentially being first contact in some way. Because uh, I only saw two, but I'll be interested to see what your other three are. <laughs> ah, okay. Um, so, yeah, with the queue, with it being the first episode, Justin, you mentioned that there were lots of godlike beings in the original series. Is that Was that maybe an homage to the original series, having a godlike being, possibly. Yeah, well, I mean, the the story behind Encounter at Farpoint is that they originally, like, had this idea 
for what they would be doing. And they kind of went back and forth on the length of it, but the, the studio was insistent on it being two hours. Okay. So Gene Roddenberry had to add to it, and that's when he came up with Q and added it in, oh, okay. possibly because of a, a inspiration from Trelane from the original series, yeah, something yeah. like that. Interesting. Um, so, so yeah, it, it is something that might not have ended up in there, but for needing it to be a two-hour pilot. And I think it did come from some kind of inspiration from Gene Roddenberry thinking about the original series and coming up with something quickly. That's quite cool. I suppose with the first episode, it's going into it, you can't really have any expectations about what this new next generation is going to be. Um, mm-hmm. So they could really do anything, couldn't they? Um, and having this godlike being, I quite enjoyed it. I think the way Picard deals with him, it's the first mm-hmm. glimpse that we get into seeing who Picard is as a person and his command style. I do think the whole episode, with it being the pilot, is a bit, it's a bit more militaristic than we get mm-hmm. accustomed to. There's a point where the first time we see LaForge, a report to Riker on the planet. Um, and Riker, he starts talking, LaForge starts talking, and Riker says, oh, is this an official report? And then LaForge stand, stands to attention and gives the report. And then there's just some of the dialogue, it just feels quite rigid and stilted. But that's not really to do with Q. Um, yeah, I enjoyed Q's introduction. And I think the way John Delancey acts it is really important alongside Patrick Stewart. I think they're a really good double act. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's it's interesting. Like, they're on this mission. Q just suddenly appears in a flash of light, and Picard's asking, like, what are you? <laughs> and, mm. and Q kind of starts to to explain, and then he just kind of goes through all these antics and all these things that are kind of really frustrating. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I do think it's it, it's pretty interesting to, to see that. Um, April, anything else about Q for this one? Yeah, I actually kind of like, and I don't know if this is going to be specifically about Q or about it being the first episode of TNG, mm-hmm. but I kind of like that introduction of the questioning of um, Starfleet's mission or what is it that they're here for? Mm-hmm. Are they going to be responsible, et cetera, et cetera. Now, granted, we've already had another series, um, prior to, so I'm not sure if like, you know, Q was kind of hanging back, <laughs> watching everything, you know, mm-hmm. during that time, and then decided to just judge because Picard looked like a good, easy target. <laughs> but um, yeah. I, 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 I kind of like the introduction of just talking about what are, what are you doing here? It gave Picard an opportunity to, to explain why Starfleet is here, why they're going out exploring, why, you know, the fact that they've gone through all of these hurdles with history and developing themselves yeah. in a certain way to prepare them for moving forward and exploring and even learning more about themselves in the process of learning others about others. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's an interesting way to think about it because you could almost think about what goes on with Picard explaining himself and the Enterprise D's mission almost as like trying to explain why Star Trek itself is important and why it's important to think about going out there. And there's also this reflection, you know, thinking back to a previous time when Q brings up kind of this trial setting and talks about the 
post-atomic horrors and all this stuff. But to, to try to compare, like, we were there before, and here's where we are in a much better place. You have to judge us by how we are now. So in a certain way, I hadn't really thought about it this way, but it, it, it's kind of like re-explaining or introducing why Star Trek is important, and in some ways why uh, TNG is important and different because it is this more utopian society. I mean, I think there are aspects of the original series where it's definitely a better future, but there are more things you see in the original series where they're thinking about, you know, famines and other difficulties that don't really seem to happen in the Federation in the 24th century. So it, it may be a way to kind of, because it's a, it's a more powerful being, he has to explain him himself and what his ship and the Federation do to Q. I think it's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. So, um, Let's talk a little bit more about Encounter at Farpoint since we've talked about the the Q. Now, I'm kind of curious, Joe, you said you thought there were five different first contacts. What what are the other ones that you have? I'm just kind of curious because I had one in mind in particular. Okay, so the obvious, um, I don't know if it's a first contact, like uh, strictly speaking a first contact, but it's between the Federation and the, the the, the Bandai on the planet indigenous people well i thought they'd had they'd they'd had dealings with them but prior to this yeah i thought the same thing too and i was like no i think i really think that they're not i I, they because they made this arrangement with exactly so they already knew about to have the star base or whatever okay so i've got four first contacts in mind then (laughs) okay keep keep going we'll see if we knock them down or not so there's the there's the space fairing um the jellyfish jellyfish thing yeah um don't know how much yeah, before of a first you talk point. about your before oh. you talk about your other two that that is the one that I had in mind That's the one was I had in mind space as well. jellyfish yeah yeah be, be, because I think it's the impression I get is it's a species they haven't had contact with before and it's and it's kind of an interesting way of doing it because it's kind of there through a lot of the episode but you don't know it because there's this being that's kind of been been enslaved mm-hmm. um, and then you get to to, to see them and there's like this this understanding and there's all this you know like all these things that Troy is feeling from them and you know all that and, and so that's kind of how the first contact happens it's not like with Q where you're like talking with him and like hey what's mm-hmm. going on what are you doing here it, it more happens through impressions of behavior and certain things that Troy is is getting out of it so it's it's a little bit different but i suppose uh, yeah they're like more like an animal as opposed to a, a sentient humanoid life form well i think they are, i think they are sentient beings though because i think they do have their own kind of way of communicating or or, or awareness i, I mm. they just don't do it like verbally but yeah the normal way that we would normally yeah. do. But, but but yeah before we talk about that with you a little bit more mm-hmm. I mean, what do you think about the the space jellyfish in this episode april um that was my next one so yeah i i do believe that they are definitely sentient um like you said they communicate in a different way and troy got to do a you know handless or hands-free mind melt with them just by the telecommunication (laughs) (laughs) they had going on um so that was really helpful just for them to kind of identify the fact that they are being hidden and i I, and that's something i was having a hard time like who was hiding who like was it the what is what's the um i almost said (laughs) bow wrong wrong series The the bandai um were they hiding were they were they they were 
kind of they had them captive or that one jellyfish captive or whatever um mm-hmm. using its powers to create things right um mm-hmm. because I, I guess that entire society is all you know one big giant market um so they were getting things or having things produced in order to sell items whatever blah blah, blah. so it's it was a good idea or a good thing that troy was able to sense it you know but like mm-hmm. what would have happened if there was no troy like <laughs> like how would mm-hmm. the you know they just would have went there made the purchases did the you know meetup and then like would have been on and they had been gone before the other one came by exactly wreak its vengeance exactly yeah. <laughs> Might they have still investigated it because you had the the magic magic yeah. could reappear in bowl of apples and the bowl of fabric that was red, then red and gold. So yep. they might have yeah. noticed that something fishy was up and thought, oh. Yeah, I mean, they, cause they started to notice that already, but they just were yeah. kind of questioning themselves a little bit. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, but I do think it's interesting as a contrast in this episode, you have the Q that are like these omnipotent beings that are kind of uh, and, and, you know, Q as played by John Delancey seeing this episode is kind of like poking them and, and like really kind of pushing them and challenging them and saying they shouldn't go this far. And then you have this species that also has a lot of power, not omnipotent, but they need to be kind of freed from, from this situation. So I like in, in a way, it's almost like uh, taking a look at the different kind of extremes of first contact like it could be there are these all-powerful beings that are a real problem or it could be that there are these beings that that you need to help out right as opposed to a being that can't really help them <laughs> you you just have to hope that you can survive what they're doing so anyway i think what do you think joe i think it's an interesting contrast between those two i think does q not want the crew of the enterprise to kind of almost maybe turn a blind eye or based on his histor- historical knowledge of humanity, um, want the f- Starfleet to enslave these creatures because he doesn't think we're up to much and we think we've gone too far and we're, we're just a bad bunch of yeah, he, people. He, wa- he wants to see, uh, to test them and, and see mm-hmm. if they can figure out what's going on. And I think at the end you see him, he's a bit annoyed that the fact that we've, um, <laughs> we've grown into ourselves and for what he can see, we're not that species that warred yeah. against each other and drugged up our soldiers and had a, right. a nuclear world war. And, and even says toward the end, like, oh, I see, I've, now I've made it uh, too simple a puzzle. So then I, I think of him like going away for a number of years and be like, aha, I've got the perfect puzzle that he pulls in all good things. But mm. <laughs> but sure. it is it is pretty interesting that he's like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe you can do that, but I'll be watching and we'll mm. see what happens. So. So, so Joe, I'm curious, since we've talked about the two, what are your other two that you think are in this episode? I'm really okay, curious. So it's not like first contact between like Starfleet and another species. It's uh-huh. first contact of the original series with The Next Generation, with that lovely oh. scene with Admiral McCoy and Data. It's just, uh, it's, it's just so, there's something about it. It's like that lovely handover. Obviously, McCoy's 137 years old. He's just this wee old admiral now. And Data wants to be human. Um, and yeah. I think a lot of the original series was kind of this discussion on what it is to be human. Um, and Data wants to be human as well. Um, and he says about the Enterprise, like, the Enterprise is like a lady. She'll always kind of 
she'll always bring you ho- you and the crew home. And it's just yeah. that, and they walk down the corridor together. It's just a lovely, poignant moment. Yeah. Really enjoy That's it. very clever, Joe. I wouldn't have thought of uh-huh. that See. as a first contact. I, I put it as my awe moment, but not really a first oh, contact, really? first contact. But that was like, I get what you're saying, though. Yeah. Okay. But I see what you're saying, Joe. It's kind of like uh, outside of the universe, really. It's the audience seeing the contact between these two shows. Yep. Yes. <laughs> and I suppose the other one would be because it's the first episode. It's our first contact with mm. this new crew. And it's interesting because we only meet a few of them in the first episode. And then we meet a bunch of others in the second part. You don't re- meet true. Riker and um, Crusher, Wesley and LaForge until episode two, I think. So it's mm. weird. It's spaced out unusually. Um, I suppose it's such a big ensemble cast, you want to kind of drip feed them to the audience, maybe. Yeah, you want to kind of like get everybody together little mm-hmm. by little. Yeah. You know. oh, so cool. yeah, that's my that's my second one. I know it's not really a first contact, but I see what you're doing. I'm calling it. That's funny. I actually had a section called other first contacts um, in my notes here. And <laughs> one of mine was the crew getting together and meeting for the first mm-hmm. time, which is also a part of us yeah. um, getting introduced to TNG. But then I also, I don't know if you remember, but in the holodeck, I think Riker, that was his first time meeting an Android. Mm. Or at least Data, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he said, I think they were talking about, yeah, I, 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 could, I could be wrong, but I could have sworn I remember them saying, um, like, Data explaining himself to, to Riker, like, what he is, and them having a discussion about it, like, in the holodeck. Mm, yeah. Because he says that, do you think you're superior to us? And Data was like, in most measures, I am superior, I'm stronger, faster, smarter. Etc. Yep. One really weird thing that I noticed about Data was he didn't know what Snoop meant. And Picard says it, yeah. doesn't he? He says, how can you be programmed with all this knowledge and not know what Snoop means? It's in the dictionary. If you've got a dictionary installed, you know what it means. <laughs> that, was a bit, that was a bit odd. I suppose it just serves to highlight that he's not human and he's an android, so... Yeah. All right. So we've talked quite a bit about Encounter Farpoint, but there is a lot going on there mm-hmm. uh, in in really the two parts of the episode. But let's move on to the next one, which is a season two episode, Pen Pals. Uh, so I guess just to, to give a little refresher to, to listeners. So there's this planet, Drama 4, that has all of this these geological problems. Seems like the people on the planet are going to die, but uh, data in doing some research into different, I guess, frequencies that that he can access. He has this conversation with this uh, with this girl named named Sarjenka. And like during the course of the episode, there is kind of this discussion about what is proper to to do, should they all die or whatever. But of course in in the end, they do come up with a, a solution to to save everyone, including Sarjenka, whose memory is wiped. So um, I mean, this is, you know, quite different, I think, in a lot of ways than Encounter at Farpoint and maybe more of what we would think of for a first contact. Like there's a civilization that doesn't have space travel uh, and you have to deal with thinking about what first contact means and, you know, it kind of happens by accident. Uh, so April, like, what do you think about this episode, Pen Pals and the first contact that happens? Okay, well, I, I do think that um, this 
situation with the young girl and this planet um, really started out as more of a prime directive Mm -hmm. discussion and not necessarily a first contact um, because Mm -hmm. the issue of first contact didn't really happen until like maybe about 32 minutes into the episode. um, Although Data had been talking to her, so he'd already kind of made first contact. Yeah, but that's kind of a a prime directive violation. (laughs) More so than a You know what? I I, I was rewatching this episode and like you get to the point where Data tells Picard and he's like, yeah, I started talking to her eight weeks ago and I'm like, eight weeks? Why didn't you say anything? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so, because she still didn't know who she was talking to because True. he was, he was remaining vague of who he was. So she mm. probably wasn't really sure of, like, she could have been talking to somebody on the other side of the continent yeah. right. for all she knew. Exactly. So it wasn't until he made actual contact with her, then it mm. become like a, oh, wow. <laughs> like now you're going to add this level yeah. to it. And then it's also a kid. I just, yeah. I don't know. It and it kinda... starts the whole thing that you, see, you will see in several of these where someone who doesn't have space travel gets brought up to the Enterprise, right? It seems to happen quite a bit. <laughs> exactly. And I have some comments for later for wrap up with regards to that because there's questions about like, you know, how do you know that the yeah. whatever I'll, I'll get into that but, later. But I think, but... It's, I think it's interesting. You're thinking of it more as prime directive centered in the first part of it than first contact because I... I don't know, maybe because I was rewatching it, thinking it through, through the lens of first contact. That's how I was thinking. And then I was thinking of the prime directive issues coming up later. But yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he started talking to this young girl who was like calling, saying who's out there. And well, he could have not said anything. Well, you know, like, <laughs> and, and there's this scene where, where it's like, is anybody out there? And almost immediately he's like, yes. And I'm like, Data, couldn't you just just be like, oh, we're getting, let me record that and- um, And share it and talk to the rest of the crew about and it. Mute, or, and mute know. myself so she doesn't hear what I'm automatically saying and then just bring it up in a meeting and see what we want to do. But he, yeah. but Exactly. I, so Joe, what, what do you think about this episode and thinking about his first contact? I really enjoy it. There's a there's a part it's of a it. Episode. There's the idea that you can talk into some kind of radio device and send your voice out into the world and out into space. And I think we've all done mm-hmm. it. And we're wondering if there's going to be a response. So in terms of like um, human space exploration, we've sent the Arecibo message out. We've had the Voyager mm-hmm. and Pioneer probes go out with the information about where we are and who we are and kind of what we're made of. Um, and we are constantly looking for extraterrestrial life. So I think that's a bit of the episode that spoke to me that there was this. Never mind that it's a young girl and she's on this planet and her planet's falling apart. Um, the idea that you are, you're just looking for something a voice a voice in the darkness yeah oh and, and and just like a little little side thing to that which is that she is doing it by like a radio frequency which travels at the speed of light so maybe data's been talking to her for eight weeks but maybe they've only had like a couple conversations because it's going to take a while for the signal to go back and forth yeah exactly yeah and it's over that planet that's fallen apart my understanding in the episode was that it's like five star systems where yeah. there's something that's causing them to, Riker says, live fast and die young. And, and they don't really tell of, us what that don't. is, do they? Yeah, because <laughs> I, I watched it today and I was looking for, well, they're going to find a black hole or some quantum singularity that's kind of ripping the fabric of space apart. But they don't. They find dilithium in one of the planets, which 
accounts yeah. for that planet, but that one planet's does not that, going to affect Does that mean numbers. they destroyed a big dilithium deposit just to save the planet? I guess it would have been destroyed anyway if the planet got ripped apart. We can but... recrystallize dilithium now, so oh, mining yeah, of it's not so important. <laughs> Justin, come on. <laughs> so it's so April, like other things about this episode? Well, I, I do. Uh, this is where the, the prime directive comes in. I get a little... Um, mm. Uh, I get I'm torn, mm. like probably most people and probably most officers on a ship um, with regards to like, do you interact? Do you not? Do you save yeah. the planet? Do you not? Do you, you know, and because I know eventually, um, I mean, granted, they were able to, you know, apply the men in black fix, you know, <laughs> just you wipe out yeah. our memory. Dr. Pulaski, can you do that? Um, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> not a problem um but um but sometimes you just have to i don't know do the right thing and i think picard mm -hmm. admitted later that sometimes doing the right thing supersedes duty um like yeah. something that you you just kind of have to i i don't know just save the planet save yeah. the people mm -hmm. save do what you need to do i don't think the prime directive should be if it was a real thing be intended to be so black and white Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And like, I've gone back and forth about this over time, but like, when I think about it, I'm just like, okay, the prime directive's intention is to prevent harm to civilizations that could be exploited because they're at a lower level of technology or something like that, right? So, if a planet is going along and doing its own thing and it would disrupt, you know, the society, their fabric, how they think about things, and or if you intervene, then I can totally see how it's like, hands off, let's not bother them. But if the planet's going to die, right, like, doesn't it do more harm for the planet to die than whatever other consequences there are for like millions of people to die? And, and, and also, like, as an aside, because I read a lot of, of the novels, there was a recent uh, Enterprise novel where it, it's taking place like in the early stages of the Federation, but they haven't really gotten to the prime directive yet, but they're kind of debating this kind of thing. And it, as part of the debate, someone brings up like, well, what if like a whole planet's going to die? You know, would we not interfere then? And they all laugh and they're like, who would take it that far? <laughs> you know, like who would possibly do that? So I think that's an interesting idea that maybe like in future centuries, they, they've just have gotten really rigid and taken it too far. But I've definitely come to believe like you need to think about it in terms of the potential harm. And if the potential harm that happens is everyone dies, then almost anything else that you can do would be better to try to save them. You know what I mean? So that they're not all dead and their culture is gone. <laughs> so... Yeah. Unless you start thinking like the Krenum. No, I'm just kidding. Um. Oh. <laughs> yeah. They, no, well, it's like they, did, they already didn't exist. It's no problem. <laughs> We're good. Um, yeah, but like it, it, it's, it's such an interesting question. Of course, if we ever do get to that level and we're seeing other societies, we'll have to think about how we, how we deal with that. Um, and, and I think that like the prime directive comes from a really good intention, which is the um, thinking about the history of the earth and different colonial powers that have, you know, interfered and done all this harm and stuff. But I think you can take it too far. And it, and it's almost like, well, okay, if this is the solution, like, can't we just keep doing that in the future? Like just try to, to come by and, uh, and fix their planet and try to wipe out any trace that we were there, but at least they're going to live on. I don't know. Mm. I suppose that we're talking about human history on Earth. Um, 
there are still tribes in the Pacific and South America that have had little or no contact with mm -hmm. the outside modern day world. So if something cataclysmic was to happen to them, say there was a volcano, would we go in and save them? I would argue that, that yes, we should, because it's going to wipe out this yeah. tribe so that the tribe won't exist anymore. But if it was like the tribe were fighting amongst themselves, should you go in and help them then? If it's a natural disaster, then yes. If it's more internal politics. Yeah, and Picard talks about that. He's like, okay, everybody's going to be wiped out on the planet. Those of you who object would go in and say, but like, what if there's a war that's going on? Would you intervene in that? You know, that could be kind of dicey and you don't know what the outcome could be, if you could make it worse or whatever. So it, it does become a difficult a difficult question. Um, yeah, so we've probably talked more about <laughs> Prime Directive stuff, but I mean, it it only comes up because there is this contact that happens. Like if there wasn't, if Data didn't have this contact and they didn't go by and see what was going on on the planet, they would have no idea, right? And the planet would just exactly. die. So in this case, the unintentional first contact in a way helps to to save the people because Sarjenka puts this message out there. Can anybody help anybody out there? And it actually saves her planet. So that's, that's, it's pretty interesting because like, there's also an encounter at Farpoint, like they're saving this enslaved species because of kind of this accidental first contact. Right. I suppose yeah. you could argue that Sarjenka sent out a distress signal. So she called for help, which kind of, um, in terms of the Prime Directive, you could ignore that black and white role of the Prime Directive because she asked. She and that's kind of what in. Picard ends up doing because she does have more of a plea, like, like I'm afraid that, you know, all this stuff's going to happen. It's like, oh, sounds like a distress call. <laughs> and it's really interesting. I've mentioned it before, but the discussion they have in Picard's quarters, hmm. as opposed to having it in the, the observation lounge, yeah. The observation lounge is obviously an official meeting place. Having it in the captain's quarters kind of takes it off the record almost because they know yeah. they probably shouldn't be interfering. But given the nuances of the situation, they feel that they have to, which I think is fair enough. Because they, they do that yeah. quite a lot. Where they have kind of off-the-book discussions, but it's in somebody's mm -hmm. quarters as if to keep it a secret. Definitely. I, I don't think Data would have done that in the first place having a conversation with somebody for eight weeks without telling anybody. I'm not yeah. buying that. Does does seem a little a little odd, but okay, so let's move on to the next one, which is the uh, third season episode, Who Watches the Watchers? So this is where you have the proto Vulcan Mintakins and they're being observed behind a duck blind by Starfleet, but the holographic shield something happens to the power supply, it fails, and <laughs> and uh, the Mintakins kind of end up finding out uh, that there are other people out there in the universe, um, and they try to worship Picard as a god for a little bit. And then, in, and then, of course, they do take someone up to the ship to see what's going on. And, um, and in the end, it's like, nobody's memory's wiped. It's like, we're just going to have to kind of deal with this, which is different than what happened in, in pen pals so april what do you think of this episode and kind of the impact of the first contact fortunately it wasn't our crew um card and crew that caused this issue in the first <laughs> the place. accident happened from another group <laughs> exactly of people, yeah. from the observers um that were there um and i i struggle with this because i think ugh, goodness i mean it needed to 
eventually everything that happened needed to kind of happen. Like the crew had to do, Picard had to do what he did and everything. Um, but he didn't realize or he didn't think that they were like Picard was a god until he was already up in the ship and saw like the light behind Picard's head and there was like a halo kind of <laughs> thing. And it was just kind of like a strange moment. And he was just like, the Picard, you know. So um mm. his daughter saw Bev and him beam up out of nowhere yeah. or disappear rather from her perspective. Um, so, and I don't think that they realized that there was a second person who actually witnessed this because when they mm. brought him up, they thought maybe he was really the only person because she was hiding. Yeah. So but they tried to do some memory wiping that didn't quite work. Right. That, yeah. And I was going to, I was going to mention that because like, well, Did Pulaski you know, take her notes with her. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Bev didn't get all of the <laughs> details of that at all. <laughs> but I think there was also a challenge, I think, because they're Vulcan or proto-Vulcan or what have you. So their mm. minds might be different than the young girl who was at the, that Pulaski wiped. Hmm. And I wonder, I wonder sometimes when I watch this episode, if they treat them a certain way because they look like Vulcans as opposed to something else. And they think like, oh, this is a really logical species or something like that. But I don't know. So, Joe, what do you think of... Uh, Trying to ahead. remember, this isn't the one... I watched this one recently within the last couple of months, so I didn't rewatch it for the conversation. Do they end mm. up coming clean with the the Mentakins? Yeah. They do, yeah, that's, that's what I thought. Yeah, so, like at the end, Picard's talking with them, and he's like, well, um, you've just got to kind of do your best with this now. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, which I think was a bold choice to make, to just be like, it happened, it's going to have some consequences, and just got to do the best you can yeah yeah well i think once they realized that they couldn't wipe their memory anyway mm-hmm. um yeah they they had to come clean pretty much at that point yes yeah, so as a case they've tried to fix the problem um and then refix it and then the problem just unravels more and more and more until it becomes unfixable mm-hmm. it's like trying to put band-aids on a severed limb I mean, you can stick 100 Band-Aids on, but it's like you're not going to do the patient any good. Um, so the ultimate thing is to do is just go, okay, that's fine, we made a mistake. We're here, the universe is full of people. Some of us have spaceships, and you guys don't. That's just the way of it, but you're kind of proto-Vulcan, so deal with it. Okay, thank you, goodbye. Yeah, and, and they seem to be like, all right, uh, yeah, I guess I guess we'll deal with it, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't like totally lead to an upheaval, in there, at least that we see in this episode. So. No, I don't think it would because I think you're supposed to be given the impression that they are Vulcans, so they're logical, so they will be able yeah, to. Yeah, but they're it willing to believe like Picard is a god up until the point that the guy shoots him with the bow and arrow. So. Yeah, but like uh, so, Vulcans used to be really violent and yeah. overly emotional, so I suppose they are earlier on in their Vulcan evolution. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they believe in a god because they don't have the scientific knowledge. Not to what was it? Was it Asimov or Arthur C. Clarke? Now the quote about one of them. It's undistinguishable from advanced technology. Advanced technology yeah. is indistinguishable from magic. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, let's actually keep going. I know we have <laughs> have a few more episodes to to go through, but I think that was an interesting con- contrast. So there's also the season four episode called First Contact, uh, which basically. The Federation has been kind of seeing where the society's going. They're on the verge of developing warp drive or maybe even on the verge of testing it. Um, and and I think Riker had gone undercover. He gets discovered and it 
kind of leads to this upheaval in their society and and eventually uh they tell them to leave <laughs> because mm-hmm. there are these elements in their society that can't accept it and and i've often thought when i watch this episode like yeah if maybe if that happened on earth that would happen where they would be like oh given the choice like please go away because like we've got all these elements in our society that really don't like you being here so um april what do you think of this episode yep that one actually noted that with regards to um how they left but i like this episode i it, it's well it's a little one part of it's really weird but um <laughs> I think I know which part you're thinking of. But. Yeah, the doctor that like quid pro quo, quo. Oh my God, that whatever. So anyway, <laughs> so <laughs> that was really disturbing. But outside of that, um, that's something that, you know, even with, you know, the manipulation of your physical appearance, mm-hmm. you know, surgically to like make you fit in, you know, you never know when an accident's going to happen, right? Yeah. There's no real preparation for that. And so he ends up in the hospital and they find out that he is completely different than them. Mm. And, you know, they, he wakes up. It's almost up as if you just have prosthetics questions. on your face and hands. <laughs> oh no, it's as a, you know, what do you say? A um, genetic mutation or something <laughs> like that. It's just like, yeah, no. But it's kind but, of funny because in a way he, he is the person that just has prosthetics on and <laughs> like, like an actor would. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So it was really interesting, but I, um, I really do enjoy this episode just mm. for the fact that it really challenges Starfleet and how they're going to do things and how they're mm. going to move forward with things. And also, you know, hopefully makes them think about accidents could happen. These civilizations, especially one that is close to space travel or warp travel or what have you, they're going to have doctors and if there's an accident you know they're not gonna you can't just kind of talk your way out of explaining why you have normal fingers and normal toes and so i just i like the challenge that it places for starfleet just to kind of okay you know what are we going to do next time how are we going to avoid this and you know, should we really be having people down there for that long and that sort of thing? And then also, too, I really love the ending. I do. Like, I mm-hmm. like how Picard's like, oh, we'll just step away. You know, good luck to your civilization. Hopefully, you know, we'll run into each other eventually in our lifetime, et cetera. But we're going to honor your request mm-hmm. and not continue with interacting with your community or Mm -hmm. your environment so i really do appreciate that that ability to step away yeah Uh, what are your thoughts on this one joe i'd really like the episode as well the best bit is marasta yale yeah she is a star trek fan she is a star trek fan of her species she is the person (laughs) take me with you yes she's the person (laughs) we all want to be if like aliens came and visited i know like 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 if if kind of um these beneficent aliens came and they were like hey we got this thing going on uh, you want to come with us and you look at earth today and you're like yeah i guess so mm. <laughs> you know like there's better stuff out there it's kind of how she feels like because she can't really fit in with this society that's going to suppress progress yeah yes i think for me i f- believe i was born like two three hundred years too early I'm fascinated with what the future is going to be like, and I know I'm not going to get to no. see it because obviously 
human lifespan. Yeah, I mean, are, I'm are hoping limited. two to three hundred years from now is better, not worse. But yeah, you'd have to, <laughs> Star Trek gives us hope that it is going to be better. Uh, yeah, it does. I was watching the Netflix TV show Mars recently. Mm-hmm. Have you seen it? Yeah, I highly recommend. I, I want to recommended. It. So it's part documentary set in 2016, and it's part drama set in 2035. So the documentary footage is all kind of thematic and about possible future missions to Mars and what NASA, the European Space Agency, all the space agencies around the world, and they interview scientists and engineers and astronauts about the logistics of a mission to Mars. And then it jumps to 2033, I think it is, and talks about the, the astronauts that are currently en route to Mars and when they land and set up camp and all that kind of thing. So really enjoyed it. So why I mention it is my mum and dad, I told my mum and dad about it, and they, for some reason, had been speaking about Mars earlier and said, my mum said to me, your your dad thinks that if NASA phoned you up and said, oh, we need somebody to go on this new Mars mission, would you go? And my dad thought I would go, and my mum thought, no, he wouldn't. He wouldn't leave his family behind. And I thought about it. I was driving home at the time and I was like, I actually think I would. I don't, th- I think the opportunity would be too colossal to turn down. You'd need the astronaut training first, though. Oh, yeah. Come on. <laughs> I'll get through that easy. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no problem. That'd be easy. Yeah. Um, so I think the opportunity to, first of all, be in Earth's orbit and see the planet from space, mm, which is mm. something we see in Star Trek a lot. I think the psychological impact of that on a person can't be underestimated. And then to travel yeah. to another planet and land and then live on another planet. I know it's Mars, it's hardly in the atmosphere. The gravity's like, what is it, a third of Earth? Um, yeah. And it's, it would be really inhospitable. But the opportunity, I would have to say yes to be a hmm. spaceman, living my own Star Trek. <laughs> Well, we'll see, Joe. Maybe we can do that in your lifetime. And then, you, then you'll be a famous astronaut. <laughs> yeah, but then I'd leave my dogs here. Oh. You know, it's a one-way ticket, essentially. You're not going to come back. Um, leave my dogs, leave you, and leave my extended family, my brother, sister, mum and dad. It'd be heartbreaking, but I think when you balance that up with the impact that you could have on the future of humanity, um, I'd have to say yeah. Yeah. And Maybe we'll have a propulsion breakthrough, so it won't take as much time. True. Maybe we'll Earl Grey hosts will invent transporter technology and we'll just be able to beam, beam Record over. the first podcast on Mars. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, I actually did think about that. I was like, oh, what will I do like as a host of Earl Grey if I'm on this space mission? <laughs> will we do it? Well, Justin and Amy will record their bits and then they'll send it to me <laughs> and I'll record my bits. Then I'll send them back and they can edit them together because obviously the time delay yeah. would be too much. I mean, let's set let's set it right now. Earl Grey episode three thousand on Mars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a lot of Earl Grey episodes. <laughs> Do we have enough You've to talk about? Far. Yeah. So yeah. I do. I think the reason I mentioned that was because Marasta Yale is that mm-hmm. is is me as the person that would say yes, take me with you because my society. The episode is a case of first contact happening a couple of decades too early maybe a hundred years too mm-hmm. early when mm-hmm. the society isn't fully ready. I think it's their society a bit like Earth just now. I think for the most part, there are, there are some of us that are ready for first contact. Yeah. And then, but a lot of us that aren't ready. Um, 
of kind of oh yeah the star trek fans would be ready everyone else might be like uh i don't know about that true okay so i think it's been a really interesting discussion so far but i realized as we went through this that there is an episode we wanted to talk about that i forgot sorry listeners and sorry joe and april so of course it is the season two episode q who where we first see the borg and it's actually i think the very next episode after pen pals so of course this is you know, quite different because there's this really frightening adversary they can't really defeat and Q has to uh, kind of take them back. And it is interesting because you have the first contra- contact with the Q and encounter at Farpoint, and now one of the Q, played by John Delancey, is creating a first contact. So April, your thoughts on this one? Um, well, this is actually, this was a very, I mean, even though the first time we saw Q, it was really a clear indication of the type of person that, or type of being that he was, um, as well as their capabilities as Q. Um, But nothing really quite holds a candle to Q who, and the fact that he can like throw their ship across quadrants i don't even yeah. sure exactly where they were <laughs> they were somewhere um, in the delta quadrant i was thinking delta but i wasn't really sure because when they mentioned how long it will take but maybe it's because of the certain part of the delta quadrant that they were in was yeah, closer I, than where I, I got the impression Gangway. it was yeah, it was the delta quadrant but somewhere n- not all that far from the border with the uh, alpha and beta quadrant, but yeah. 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 So um, the, just the fact that he just threw a tantrum because he wanted to join the crew. He's like, <laughs> and, Oh, you'll need me after this. <laughs> exactly. And I yeah. really, really like that's the first introduction to Guinan's abilities of mm. sensing something's off. At least if I remember correctly, I think you might be right. Yeah. And so um, I really, like that too just because she just knew she's like is everything okay when she called the the bridge and was like, she was just kind of looking yeah. out and <laughs> even um jordy when he was in the tin forward he was like you know i think i want to just go check engineering just because they have a, an mm-hmm. idea of her abilities or capabilities so I, that, that part of it, um, I enjoyed, but then I also, the introduction of the board, cause to me, I probably, I, I, I don't know how many fans, a lot of people seem to complain about the Borg. I personally like the Borg, uh, mm-hmm. just I like their too. introduction and their interaction with Starfleet. And I know some things happen in Voyager later, but I really do like the interaction of board of the Borg. And mm-hmm. I think they did well, but they also had coaching even though Q was being really vague on the details. Um, But I did appreciate their willingness to talk to Q, try to get information from Q, and then also Guinan, because her people um, Mm -hmm. had an interaction with them some hundred years ago. Um, So Mm -hmm. I think that was, I just found it interesting. They used their resources. They got some information about this, these beings and they watched carefully and, proceeded cautiously with, you know, trying to understand what this group of people or beings are. Yeah, because I think originally, you know, Picard is almost like kind of trying to take it from the perspective of like, okay, it's a new species, maybe I can do this diplomatically. But like, 
nothing that he's used to works <laughs> works with this not this at group. all so it's it's you know it's quite different in in that way and also happening early on like like this you know it, it's kind of like an encounter at far point they're able to save the space jellyfish from being enslaved in pen pal they've saved the planet even if you know they had to break the prime directive but here it's like there's nothing he can do and he has to actually even admit to Q like all right if you want to let to us to let you know that we need help we need your help if you want us to to say that we're frightened we're frightened you know like there like there is absolutely nothing that that he can do here which i think is it's kind of like the first contact that can't possibly go well <laughs> so exactly um, your thoughts joe yeah i think this is one of the times where we see q doing something that's just really bad because norm normally we see him and he's kind of just using the crew as a, a plaything and a toy and testing them in some way some way mm-hmm. with things that they can probably handle but he does this thing to kind of force them into a situation they can't handle because he's what He's just trying to prove that they're not ready for what's out there. But I think yeah. they wouldn't have met the Borg for another however long. Because that system J25 is in the beta quadrant according to Star Trek ch- Star Charts and Stellar Cartography, the books. It's not in the Delta Quadrant? No, it's in the beta quadrant, but it's quite mm-hmm. close to a hub of the Borg transport network, apparently. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's what I was wondering. Okay. Yeah, because I thought I, I thought they mentioned something different. So Okay. Q, Q is right to say that they're not ready to handle everything that's out there, but it's only because he's forced them into a position and to not been able to handle it because it wouldn't have happened until sometime in the future when they might have been ready for it. And then, so you could argue that Q is responsible for all the deaths at Wolf 359 because he alerted the Borg to the existence of the Federation. Yeah, I mean, and, and 18 people die Mm-hmm. And he doesn't restore them or anything like yeah. some people that die in other episodes where he's like, ah, just bring him back. Yeah, it it is one of those times where where Q kind of seems a little more malevolent, but like in his way, he's like, I just want to warn you what's out there. So now you got warning, right? But but yeah, it leads to give us a warning. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Warn us, but don't throw us into something we can't possibly yeah. win. He, he probably thought that was his way of, of doing it. But yeah, it, it is one of those cases in, in this list of first contact where it's like there's some super serious stuff going on that sets up so much else later. Because in a lot of these cases, we don't really see these species again. Like we don't see the space jellyfish again. We mm-hmm. don't see Sarjenka's species. We don't see the Mintakins. We don't see the the Malkorians from first co- contact. But this is one where this is like really important going forward so that's that's pretty interesting so let's keep going here to another one that's a threat which is the aliens in schisms which is the episode where these aliens from i guess another realm are taking people while they sleep and doing experiments on them (laughs) so this is kind of yeah it's something that starfleet didn't ask for but it is a uh, first, well, it's a first contact, definitely at least at the point that that Riker like is awake and sees them and and deals with them. You so, can't call it, it a realm, Justin. It's not a medieval drama. It's a different layer of, layer of subspace. Yeah, get your a different subspace right. realm. Yeah, mm, okay, uh, that helps to me. <laughs> to think, think realm. You think of like people on horseback and knights okay. and princesses different, with long different hair. Different layer of of subspace. Yes, there we go. obviously. So. It, so April, what do you think of this episode and thinking about it as a first contact? 
this, they were completely violated. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, and it's just a matter of um, pretty much just being attacked in a way um, mm-hmm. without actual battle. But, um, you know, they're, these beings are just taking people <laughs> and experimenting on them and just kind of quietly and clandestinely trying to like put them back in their place and you know pretend like nothing's going on until there's you know headaches and weird things that are happening and you know um triggers that seem to be happening to the crew you know throughout the the ship so the the first contact is like when Riker wakes up like there's no negotiation going on they're just trying to get out of there um, yeah. they're trying to save themselves. And so I don't really remember an actual like diplomatic approach to trying to solve no. or whatever. It was just a matter of we're being violated. Our crew is being hurt. I think if I remember one crew member was killed or something yeah. like that. They ended and up dying, I think because their blood was replaced or something crazy like that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so you know, I'm not really sure if it was just a matter of life or death at that point, really. Um, I mean, this was a lot worse than that other episode on Voyager. Um, that Scientific method? Scientific method, yeah. That was I pretty think. bad, too. It was pretty but... bad, too. I think somebody, I mean, there. I think a crewman died there, too. But just the... They, they were pretty much the same, but it was just, it, it was just horrible. And it was just a matter yeah. of them, at least with the Voyager one, they got to talk to the crew. <laughs> I mean, to the beings. Makes this, this really here, frightening. They don't, yeah. they can't, they can't really communicate with them. Cause maybe they could be like, Hey guys, why are you doing this? You know, <laughs> but they, they couldn't find out. So like, the only thing we can do is try to get our people back and seal it up and call it. A exactly. Day. Exactly. Yeah. So that was more of an es- escape escape attempt and attempt at mm-hmm. saving yourselves more than a first contact to me. But I mean, there was contact, yeah. but it was just saving yourself on violation really to yeah. my, for my, I mean, it was just, it was a very disturbing episode. <laughs> what, what do you think, Joe? I th- think this, these subspace aliens are less of the aliens from that Voyager episode and more like the two dimensional being from the loss which was dragging the Enterprise into quantum singularity. Mm. Why so? I think the Voyager aliens were sentient humanoid species from our realm of space. Let's use that word realm again. Uh Um, (laughs) And so I think they probably knew that they were violating the crew to study science. But you could argue that being in another layer of subspace, they might have just viewed us as some kind of, did they view us as life? Did they see us as like ants or less Mm. evolved living organisms that they wanted to investigate? And they didn't, they maybe didn't, just couldn't have the ability to perceive us as being sentient and being on the same level as them. And I think the only Mm. reason that Riker saw them as being similar to humanoid is maybe that is just the way your brain processes the information when you wake up in subspace, possibly. That's interesting. I've, I've probably talked about it on this, uh, on our grade before, but there is an explanation in the novels that <sighs> makes it more okay. like... <laughs> Go, <laughs> so I just, tell but, us. But because, no, I, it, 
I don't really have to go go into it, but I think it does leave it open that they could be doing it for any number of reasons. It mm -hmm. could be like you're saying, like you don't think of of you know the beings that are in our layer of subspace, let's say, or our universe. Um, don't think of them as on the same level, and you can do experiments and find out things. I mean, or it could be that they're trying to find out some some information to help them move to our our area because there's is having a, a big problem but they leave it open it could be a lot of things and yeah. that that kind of makes it more frightening because you don't even know why they're doing this right mm. it's the creepiest point that star trek has we're on the, on the holodeck and like make a table I don't know where the, the table database is in the holodeck, but it's like make a wooden table. And it it's reading with, their minds. Well, it's just really <laughs> strange. It's like completely random selections of catalog tables that they have. Um, like make the table Ones that metal. they had on the, like in, in storage at Paramount. Yeah. yeah, like if you go to Ikea and you say, show me a table. I mean, it's like, it just shows you random tables. Um, so yeah, but just the whole, they're all sharing this experience mm -hmm. and yeah. adding to the details with the scissors and one's a long blade and a short blade and then there's a light but the light's brighter yeah, it's, and it's closer uh, to the table <laughs> and then there's the clicking oh god the oh clicking. the clicking <laughs> oh, it gives me chills <laughs> it it's, does it's so well done and, yeah and one thing that about that specific scene that really reminds me is like trauma when you're going to like, you know, any kind of therapy doctor, whatever, and you're going through a certain, you've had a certain trauma mm -hmm. and you're recalling and revisiting and trying to put the pieces together because yeah. oftentimes with trauma, you, it's oftentimes kind of blocked out mm -hmm. and you have the tendency to have to kind of rebuild it to understand what could have happened. And that's, that's one of the things that really freaked me out about that specific scene, because it's like, you know, you have to kind of relive the feeling in order to put the pieces together. And yeah. that was something mm. that really, <laughs> it really bothered me a lot. So, yeah, but it was just, I think it was done very well. Mm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's go to another episode, and this is the season seven episode, Phantasms, <laughs> which uh, I think is another episode where there's kind of this mystery of, of what's going on. And I think you end up finding there are these interphasic organisms mm -hmm. that have um, kind of are attacking them in some way. Uh, and Data kind of finds out through his subconscious and his dreams and whatever what's going on, and they find a way to, to, to get rid of them. But um, April, what do you think about... And, and, it, it, and again, like we're talking about first contact, but they don't really, really, I think, get to talk to them. But, but there, there is this species that it's kind of like they're making first contact but they don't really get to talk to them what do you think yeah and i wasn't like i'm i wasn't really sure if these if this specific species was i mean i could be completely wrong and maybe i'm looking at it completely different but i don't really see them as sentient sentient mm -hmm. um i they just kind of i mean they're definitely organisms that are in the ship and i think didn't they, like weren't they in the some sort of warp in the warp core yeah. or something like that. They kind of attach and it kind of seem, seems more so like an algae mm. <laughs> or something like that. That's at least how I um, envisioned um, this, this group of organisms. But it did lead to a very interesting um, adventure <laughs> with data. Mm. And, yeah. um, 
And I love the technology where they can just like hop into his dreams. That's kind of cool. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I mean, this is one of the one of the most memeable, I think, episodes. <laughs> yeah. A lot of content in it. Mm. Um, With mint frosting. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And unlimited data. So. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I like their approach of trying to identify what the cause is and how data was somehow able to get in some technical babble way, able to get Jordy to witness um, his dreams. Uh, I yeah. think it was Jordy. Jordy and Picard. And Picard, yes, because that's where the unlimited data comes from. So yeah, and, <laughs> uh, and from a first contact perspective though, because I just personally wasn't really sure if they were sentient where you can actually have a conversation or some sort of diplomatic yeah. approach or something like that to address the beings. Um, but I, I it, was, it was more of a situation where they had to clear off the ship <laughs> and like get rid of these things. And, yeah, it's kind of like their first yeah. contact is finding out, oh, they are infested like feed infesting and feeding <laughs> on us we have to kill them yeah. exactly which is unusual for star trek to do but yeah uh, <laughs> joe your thoughts they're, they're just the bug of the week aren't they really but given a fancy scientific thing they're not so that i don't think they're ever meant to be sentient unlike so they're i suppose they're similar in a way to the things barclay sees um floating in the transporter which turned out were actually crew members well here, here's here's a question for you so when data is having his his dreams and it's almost like these organisms are represented by these workmen or other people are kind of communicating that's just something that he's making up to interpret it or is there some kind of communication being attempted i was thinking i was thinking it was his interpretation yeah. like mm -hmm. that's his way of uh, you know when you have dreams right you can have a dream about a freight train coming through your house when you're actually thinking about something else it's more of a physical manifestation mm. of your idea or thought of something mm. like that's what i was thinking um you're making me wonder why I put this one on the list. <laughs> well, no, it's okay. I mean, it's interesting. <laughs> They're alive, and it's the first time we see them, so... Exactly. Yeah. Boom, first, first contact. First done. Yeah, <laughs> boom. Yeah, I have this um, dream. I have a recurring dream where I wake up in bed, and behind the bed, there's a hole in the floor. And when you look into the floor, like, there's no... There's nothing. There's just a giant giant chasm this huge cave that's miles long and miles high and there's there's a lake at the bottom and giant like mm. stalagmites and stalactites and it's lit from within because the the crystals in the cave have this kind of wow. internal ability to produce light and then my vision zooms out and my house is just kind of perched atop this really thin layer of ground and at any point it could collapse and I could fall into the cave. Wow. Just while we're talking about dreams and them being random and not really linked it to real life. Both beautiful and frightening at the Terrifying, <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow, that's really something. So, um, <laughs> yeah, let's, that's not really, it was just a dream that I had <laughs> once. Yeah. Now that we've uh, talked about Joe's dreams. Um, Okay, so one, of course, I had to include in here is the movie First Contact. And, of course, thinking about First Contact between humans and Vulcans, which is actually one of my favorite things in, in all of Star Trek because it's kind of that moment where they go and start their journey toward a better future. Um, but, but, April, what do you think of this one? 
generally, this is, I, I find, it's just a great movie. I love it. And it kind of yeah. gives the backstory. Um, and it also offers like the board piece too, that I really enjoy yeah. um, as a part of this. But it's also like, I was thinking not only is it the first contact of the Vulcans and all of that, but of course, Starfleet had to get in there before the Vulcans did. And <laughs> it was primarily, I think, because of the board, but they there's a first contact with our future Starfleet and the beginning True. of what the, uh, the beginning story. of our space exactly and then also too there's the Borg because uh, there the few people um who were involved with the flights or the first um what is it warp flight mm -hmm. yeah. um also got oh sorry I thought that was muted <laughs> start over so <laughs> Um, April Yishita just said, come. I know, right? <laughs> I have, know, right? Yeah. Insert, <laughs> have been, I forgot, kept that. Yeah, that's my, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's my geeky text. <laughs> but um, is it, it is Alfie yeah. Woodard, right? Yeah. Okay. She not only has the interaction that she's going to have later with the Vulcans, but then she also has the interaction with not only the crew of the Enterprise, but also the Enterprise itself and its capabilities and the holodeck Mm -hmm. And also with um, the Borg as well, um, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. there's a there's a lot going on in this in this movie, and um, so all of, it's all of those pieces that I kind of thought about while watching the movie because we don't really see the Vulcans until like the end of it. That's true. So therefore, there are all of these other first contacts that are that are occurring um, that I find really interesting. That's a good point. Well, I mean, having first contact with the people from 2063 is one of a number of different first contacts with people from the past, whether it's in the 21st or 20th or 19th centuries. But mm -hmm. but that, yeah, I hadn't thought about it. That's an interesting way to think about it and the Borg are there. And of course, if you go if you go further and think about the Enterprise episode regeneration, it kind of leads to a different first contact with the Borg, right? So, yeah, um, these things get confusing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but you're right. It is more than just the the humans and Vulcans. There are all of these other kind of first contacts going on. But what do you think, Joe? That's interesting. It didn't occur to me that 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 was a form of first contact, meeting the people from 2063. So that's a really interesting point. Well, for, from their point of view, it's the first contact they've had with people oh, with, in the future. Oh yeah, true. Okay, um, exactly. Or. I suppose aliens, because you see Worf and you see Troy on Earth. That's the past. true. So, yeah, yeah, it didn't occur to me. It's interesting. Alfred Woodard, her character being um, plunged into kind of forced, forced first contact of the future, like seeing the Borg, seeing the holodeck, seeing the ship that's huge. It's got more titanium than she could ever imagine. What that does to you your brain. You mean you don't get paid? <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> It's 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 like inconceivable. She can't even like think like how how do you even do that? <laughs> yeah, how wonderful is this future that we live in? Um, I when I first saw it, I hated the theme tune. Hated <sighs> it. Really? No, when I first saw it, because you, you reformed yourself. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Because I was thinking <laughs> this because the big thing about the the movie is the Borg and fighting the Borg. So I wanted it yeah. to be some kind of warlike theme tune. Uh, but then, as you mature and as you appreciate. <laughs> the movie for what it is it's about first contact and when you think when you see oh 
it's <laughs> it's so emotional though when you see the Vulcan ship coming down through the clouds and then the land and then there's a whole Vulcan salute thing. I'm tearing up just thinking about it. It's and then you go back and think about the theme tune. It's absolutely perfect. It's just oh dear. Yeah. Oh. Yep. Wow. Love the movie. Mm-hmm. Love it. Someday I'll speak, <laughs> please. <laughs> no, I mean those those are all good points, and you know, again, it's it's probably my favorite first contact uh, we see in Star Trek mm-hmm. or favorite scene, really. Because you know what happened at some point. The whole movie is set up with this possibility of it not happening because of what the Borg are trying to do, and then yeah. it's not going to happen because they have to destroy the Enterprise possibly and it comes right down to the wire and data's been taken over by the borg and is he going to blow up the phoenix you don't really know and then he doesn't and it all comes good and then the vulcans <laughs> arrive so it's the first kind yeah. of contact you know has already happened but it comes right down to that fact that it might not make sure it happens again and history yeah. could have been changed or the future could have been changed or don't know don't april Take us I, I, I think you could make the Saying, argument oh, that the future's already changed. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but I really, really, I really loved, um, and I, I can't remember the character's name. So sorry, um, Alfred Wood, Alfre Woodard's character when oh, she Lily. was in, Lily when she was talking to Picard, um, and mm. they they were talking about the. Ahab and the more Moby Dick story and it was just it was a really nice kind of bridge between her reality and world and Picard's reality and world and them really connecting mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. I, I I just I don't know and I just kind of liked her character and just her reaction to being up there and yeah. the boring and like she was very real I think mm-hmm. with like how somebody would react yeah. in that situation as opposed to just going Oh wow, this is different. You know, she was yeah. very. <laughs> and let, and let, let's take a moment to recognize <clears throat> that out of the like eight things that we're talking about episodes in one movie, half of them have someone from a pre-warp civilization going up to the Enterprise. <laughs> it happens with Sarjenka and Pen Pals. It happens with Nurian who watches the Watchers. It happens with Marasta Yale in First Contact, and it happens with Lily in First Contact, the movie. So it happens a lot, doesn't it? Mm. It does. <laughs> And I have questions about the transporters, especially with some of, at least with a human, they know that, you know, the transporter is going to be able to break a human down and like recreate it on the ship or Mm -hmm. vice versa. Right. Where like some of these other aliens that they were not familiar with, like I, you know, I just find it interesting that they knew that the transporter is going to be completely safe for this person. I I like to, (laughs) I like to think that they've had experience with hundreds of different species and they have some way to, Calculate it. Do a pre-scan or something to make sure it's good. I don't know. Exactly. It's like I the universal translator. That. It's just got experience of so many languages that it just yeah. knows how to speak all of them. Yeah, and as soon as they start with word one, it knows what to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so that's Star yeah, Trek it, nonsense. A piece of rubbish, isn't it? <laughs> We'd never watch oh, that. I love yeah. it. It's Actually, amazing. I love it. To be honest, suspend yeah. disbelief. That's what we do. Yeah, you have to do that. So yeah, I think this has been a great discussion. Again, we haven't talked about all of the possible first contacts. I can think of some off the top of my head that we didn't talk about, but I think it's been, like I've been interested in thinking about this topic for a while of 
first contacts and just looking at it through that lens for the next generation. So let's talk about our final thoughts. So Joe, you want to go first? Yeah, it's first when you pose a topic for a, a podcast, it's like, and each of us does our research on it. We don't know what the other people are going to say necessarily, so you don't know where the conversation is going to go. And like all topics, it's always gone in a, a way that I didn't necessarily think it was going to go in. And mm -hmm. that's what I like about it, because you're opening yourself up to enjoying other people's opinions and getting to see other views and other takes on what Star Trek is. And so it enriches Star Trek, even though it's already enriched my life so much to this point. Like April, your views on it has given me another little insight and made it all the more better. So super interesting discussion today. Thanks for coming on. Okay, excellent. So April, your final thoughts? Well, thank you. I um, I really enjoyed this discussion just because it's what um, Joe mentioned, as well as, uh, you know, not, not, it was a pretty involved conversation for my first time mm. <laughs> but you did great you did great my first contact with an actual podcast <laughs> just being a visitor podcast i really uh, I, I will be looking at some of these episodes with a different lens um mm -hmm. after having this discussion which is something that i oftentimes kind of do listening to trek fm and the various podcasts anyway but actually having the conversation and having some of my thoughts bounced off of you guys um it's really going to bring a different view um, point for me next time I, I watch these episodes, and especially the movie. I, I really enjoyed this this chat. This has been great. I um... Yeah, April, it's like what you said at the beginning. Um, you watch Star Trek for enjoyment. Like, you don't necessarily have to watch it and pay attention. You just let the details wash over you, and you take sustenance from that. But, like, I've not been podcasting for very long, so I'm still like, oh, I actually have to have kind of coherent thoughts about something and make notes and like I have to actually pay attention and get to the details and come up with things to say so yep it's, it's I was really, really nervous about yes, that I, know, I, 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 feel, I feel your pain um, I'm still a bit like that as well so yeah but you did great so a few of my final thoughts so I think it was interesting to take a look at this list and kind of the breadth of different first contacts. So you have one that starts out with an omnipotent being, but then you have other ones with pre-warp civilizations where they are nowhere near the level of the Enterprise. You have others where there are kind of malevolent intentions like with the Borg or these interphasic organisms or, you know, the schisms aliens. And then you have something going all the way to the first contact with the humans and the Vulcans. And I, I like how you guys were talking about different kinds of, of first contacts, like the you know first contact between the people in 2063 and the people in the future and, and things like that. So it kind of helped me to think about these things in a different way. And I think it's great, probably as always in these discussions for the next generation, that they didn't just do a topic like first contact one way. They did it in a lot of different ways with a lot of different kinds of species that have different kinds of power and ways of thinking about things and whether they're a threat or not, and, and how you think about it. And of course, there are others that aren't on this list, like ones that I thought of were the nanites in evolution, mm -hmm. um, which are kind of a new even though they'd been around, but, um, and also like the micro brain species from home soil, you know, the ones that call mm -hmm. us ugly bags, of mostly water. Ugly and bags probably of mostly water. Yeah. And Joe loves to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and uh, so the, there are a bunch and I mean, listeners, you know, hopefully the ones that we've covered here today were 
were interesting ones. But if there are others that are your favorites that we haven't talked about, you know, drop us a comment or send us an email. We'd be interested to know because as I started to think about it and list it out, I think there are quite a few others because of the nature of what Star Trek is. They're going where no one has gone before kind of thing. Um, but I think it was great to get this this whole perspective on First Contact. And, and it's really just an excuse to talk about Star Trek. And we love that. Uh, so April, it was really wonderful uh, to have you on Earl Grey today. We really appreciated it so much, loved your, your thoughts, and hopefully we'll have you on again in the future. Um, but let our listeners know where they can find you online. Oh, so you can find me in the Babel Conference. I'm usually um, just a liker <laughs> in there. I just go through liking things. I'm not very engaged. Um, but you can also find me on Twitter at TAA0148. I talk about Trek. I really haven't been that active on there lately, but I do talk about Trek as, along with some other things. Um, that Those are pretty much the places you can find me. Um, I'm really bad at using Twitter. I still don't, like I'm on Twitter just now trying to find you and I don't even know how to add somebody. Uh, <laughs> you guys, I, I love Twitter. I'm on there every day. Yeah, well, I, I just, I kind of, um, just kind of backed away from it a little bit. Just and click on the search bar, Joe. And yep. <laughs> yeah, so thanks again, April. It was really wonderful to have you on Earl Grey today. Thank you. I hope I can be back. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You'll be back. You were amazing. <laughs> a natural, <laughs> I would call you. And also, you have a new friend on Twitter. Yay. All right. All right, so a preview of next week's episode. Do you want to talk about that, Joe? Yes, so my favourite thing about Star Trek is all the science that's been in it. And we will be continuing our science series with part five of the science in TNG. I think we're going to be talking about a few episodes from the end of season seven. So I'm really looking forward to that, yes. Yeah, I, I love those discussions, so definitely looking forward to it. I love how you and Amy always like go away having like learned stuff about science. So, and it's all stuff it's you've never really thought about before. So that's cool. And you do all the prep and I just show up. So Yeah, you and Amy <laughs> just like too. turn up and I'm like, hey, science. <laughs> I'm like exactly. Bill Nye, the science guy of the, the Star Trek podcast yeah. world. So, yeah. Except my name's not Joe Bill Keegan, Nye. Joe, Joe, Joe Keegan, Keegan the, the science guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, it's been so much fun talking with April Taylor about first contacts in The Next Generation today, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Literary Treks. I knew from the beginning it was going to be a very large and complicated undertaking. I was asked by the editor and the licensor to come up with a storyline for Picard that would deal with the fallout of what I unleashed in my novel Section 31 Control, in which Section 31's crimes, and in fact its very existence, are publicly exposed to the Federation at large as well as its interstellar neighbors. Earl Grey. Troy looks down at her empty stomach. <laughs> <laughs> Let me do this part. I'm going to act it. Okay. Troy looks down at her empty stomach and frowns telepathically. <laughs> oh, I wish. Listeners, could. you couldn't see it, but I did that. <laughs> oh, okay. LaForge. Computer, locate a big thing of chips. <laughs> to the journey! What about the basics, planet? That planet's not bad. There's a lot of wide open spaces. You just have to avoid going in the caves. Yeah. I mean, anthropologically speaking. No spelunking on that planet. You can spelunk on the board <laughs> uni, uni complex, but you can't spelunk on that planet. No. 
The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. That he said... <laughs> he was taking he, the new body out for a ride? Yeah, that was great. <laughs> I mean, it was a great line. It just doesn't really fit what really happened. Like, he wasn't out there dating other people. You know. Like, well, he was trying to figure out who this new Culber was, you know. No, I know, but... It, I, it was like funny. Statement. It was lighthearted. It, right. It just didn't. It just doesn't fit what he actually did. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts and iPhone, iPad or Apple TV or the desktop Apple Podcasts app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review that helps others to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, and most third-party apps. And you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. So, Joe, you want a bonus (gasps) question? Do you know, I was thinking today about where does the bonus question land? Because it's never Are in you, the outline. So, and I've, it's, I'm, it's always like a surprise. surprise yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's bonus time. <laughs> Go. So, so Joe, thinking mm-hmm. about first contacts today, yeah. what is a kind of first contact you can think about that you've had in your own life? Thinking about how we went a little beyond the boundaries of, you know, with an alien species. Mm-hmm. It has to be like going to Star Trek conventions, doesn't it? It <laughs> That's does. What I was it has to be as well. like the first time you meet like people you've only seen on TV. Somebody that I love to talk to every year is Armin Shimmerman's wife, Kitty. Oh yeah, Kitty Swink. Kitty Swink. Yeah, she's just. Do you know what she? We've spoke to her a few years running now. So she'll see you in the corridor and she'll she'll run up and like, oh, how are you guys doing? Um, her and Nicole DeBoer, who I get a selfie with mm. every year in Vegas. Just <laughs> it's it's these dead easy relationships you have with people. Um just yeah. because they're you're all but, there for the same reason. I know the, the actors are getting paid to be there, but they they make the effort and they know mm-hmm. they know you're there because you love Star Trek. So it's about meeting all the actors and then meeting the fans as well. Because we're all amazing. <laughs> what about you? Yeah. I, well, I, w- I was thinking about Star Trek conventions. I mean, it's particularly the first time I went to STLV, which mm. was didn't know what to expect, meeting some people I hadn't seen before, and everyone just made me feel so comfortable. But it, it, but it was like a first contact because it's such a different place to be where there's people that are there for yeah. the express purpose of Star Trek. Like that's the only time of year that that happens mm-hmm. where I'm just surrounded by people that are all there about. I mean, it kind of happens in a way as a virtual convention, like on social media sometimes, but to actually see everybody in person and to be there, it's, it's like a wonderful, it's a first contact that goes well. It's, it's not like, you know, the Borg that, cause that didn't go well. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Nothing like that. So we both had the same one. That's yeah. It was what I thought of as well Easy because pick. yeah. Oh well. I'll try to make it more challenging next time. Oh, no, no. <laughs> so if you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm/contact. 
Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter and Instagram at TrekFM and on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. So, Joe, where can people contact you when you're not trying to brush up on your diplomacy for a first contact? Do you know what? I think I'd be really terrible at first contact. Think like so? I'd do the wrong thing. Yeah, I'd like... You just It's okay. Just, you, you, you just be like, hi, how's it going? Try a Jaffa cake. <laughs> I, yeah, I take Jaffa cakes, but it would turn out like the species was intolerant to oranges, and I would have wiped out the entire civilization. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, I wouldn't it, do like that. I'd be, I'd be horrible. Yeah, I'd be like the Zap. What's his name? Zap Brannigan from Futurama. Mm. <laughs> I would be like him and just get it all wrong all the time. So when I wasn't, okay, I was like, so when I was a science to, officer, okay, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I'd be somebody in the background that doesn't have a lot of responsibility. Just to add, like, add, like the Science 2 console in the back. Yes, I'd be... Boop, 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 boop. Yep. Oh, did you hear there was a first contact? It went really well. Oh, glad I wasn't part of that. I would have <laughs> <Yes>, killed them. <laughs> exactly. Accidentally, not because I've got this really dark side where I want to space everybody, Yeah. obviously. Yeah. So when I'm not brushing up on my diplomacy skills, you can find me on Twitter at joyjoe77uk. You can email me, joepodcasts at gmail.com, or you'll occasionally get me on the Babel Conference. And Justin, where can people find you when you're not trying to sneak into duck blind missions? <laughs> I don't think I want to sneak into those duck blind missions. I have a real problem with, uh, I don't know, just watching people and them not knowing that I'm watching them. Oh, so I wouldn't go that's on the why I wear missions. my sunglasses. I watch people all the time. Behind the anonymity of my my sunglasses that I've got on, mm-hmm. it works. But they could probably see you across the street. <laughs> it's different. I, but no, I'm, I'm I'm convinced I'm I'm cloaked when I've got sunglasses <laughs> okay. on. Okay, can't see me. All right. Well, when I'm not avoiding a duckblind mission, uh, you can find me elsewhere on the network co-hosting the Line. That's our Star Trek Picard podcast with my friends Chrissy DeClerc Zalagi and Brandon Shane Matala. Uh, we have a great time talking about things leading up to Picard, like things from the next generation and Voyager. And it's coming up soon, Joe. Let's see. This episode comes out on December 10th. A little under a month from then is the first Picard short trek. So this thing is coming. And when it does, on the line, we will talk about each of the episodes as they air, including the short trek. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. And you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. So tell me, Justin, have you read the Countdown prequel graphic novel? Uh, Yes, Joe. You you know what? What? I got it the minute it was available. I think it became available at midnight on, what was it, November whatever day it was, 27th. So, and, And I'm two hours behind Eastern time, so I checked thinking it would be out at 10 p.m. And shortly after that, I started reading and tweeting about it. So yes, I have nice. at the first opportunity. Good. Did you? Yes. I that wasn't really in my peripheral vision about it happening. I stumbled upon it because like everything on Facebook and Twitter is Star Trek related. So yeah, got mm-hmm. it. Really disappointed in that it was so short. There's three parts to it. So I know, I know this is only part one, but I wanted to, <laughs> like, it took me 10 minutes to read it. And I was like, oh, more, That's- more. Yeah, but that's that's how comics often are. It, it takes you a short time to read it. But I know. I know you want to be immersed in it, but yes. you know, soon enough we'll have hours of Picard content. But it's it was so it was really good. I enjoyed to see it. it. Yeah, and yeah, see everybody absolutely. what they're doing. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. 
Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits and more, available through our special patrons website, PatronZone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Michael Huter, Thomas Appel, Chris Trebuzio, Jim McMahon, Joe Keegan, and me, Justin Ozer. Thank you for supporting Trek FM, and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. You broke your little ships. First contacts are only impossible until they're not. Mm-hmm.